Welcome to WWDMD, a podcast that is all about peeling back the curtain on what clinicians really think and feel as they work with others. My guests, clinicians, who are also sometimes clients themselves, risk their vulnerability as they publicly share their emotional reactions to their clients, disclose their challenges in doing the work, and reveal their personal backgrounds. I'm Dr. Myers. I'm a psychotherapist in New York City with 30 years of practice experience specializing in anxiety and depressive disorders, as well as sibling relationships and family systems. I'm also a professor of social work at Malloy University on Long Island. I see this as a journey of self-reflection for not only our guests, but you, because with each episode, I'm hopeful that you will learn something new about yourself. Please note that any discussion of case details have been modified to protect the privacy of our clients. What would Dr. Myers do? Hey, everyone. So um, today... I am with Anthony Gaetani. He is a 2023 graduate of the social work program at Malloy University, and he completed his internship and works as a care coordinator at a nonprofit substance abuse clinic where he provides case management and links clients to community service. And he also conducts intakes and provides counseling for individuals and families living with substance use disorder. I had him in class this past year as he was in his field placement. It was a field seminar where we process what's happening in the field and all of the students' feelings and emotions and skill development as they are growing professionally. And there seemed to be a theme that came up with Anthony, which was him not being in favor of his clients depending on him. And so I asked if he wanted to come on the podcast and talk a little bit more about that and understand his counter-transference around that. And so here we are. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you. And thank you, Dr. Myers, for having me. I enjoy being on your podcast. (laughs) Yeah, so when I think about dependency and my role as a counselor, especially in my intake and um, at my internship, I realized that I've had this growing fear of dependency and having to be dependent on. And this happened a few times during several interactions that I've had with clients. But something that a, I remember specifically in an event that I had during an interaction with one of my clients, he was talking about how he really enjoyed working with me. And at that point, I said, okay, that's great. You know, I I enjoyed working with you too, but I want to understand that a little more. And he was going over and explaining that I resemble his brother in several ways and that uh, the way that I would talk to him and the way that I interacted with him, it was just a very comfortable matter. And he really appreciated that. And I said, okay, that's great. But at the same time, I've said, like, I can't be your brother and I'm not your brother, but I want to help you process those feelings surrounding it. And then at that time, I noticed that he got a little offended in a way and not standoffish, but he was just like, it did get a little uncomfortable after I said to him that I wouldn't be able to replace your brother and be and and fill that role as your brother. 
So that's something that kind of stuck with me. And I did my skills presentation on an infield class and that helped me process. But this has been something that I've been like trying to process. So does this come out with your clients in other ways? I mean, it seems like you're very focused on this incident with this particular client. And it kicked up a lot of feelings and reflections for you and trying to understand what that was about. And hopefully we'll get to what was that about, at least try to. But I'm just wondering if you noticed that as a theme with other clients who depend on you in various ways. This client specifically, his brother had passed and that's why he felt very close to me. He felt comfortable talking with me. And then another client that I was only seeing for uh, six weeks, she at this at midpoint into our session, she was saying, you really helped me grow. You're really comfortable. To, I'm really comfortable speaking with you. I've never been to therapy before and I, and I want to continue this therapeutic relationship. And at that point, I was like, well, I won't be your therapist forever. I'm just an intern. I didn't want to be fearful. I didn't want to carry that responsibility of being dependent on to really, not that I didn't enjoy what I was doing, because I do enjoy the individual therapy and the counseling, but I realized that I didn't want to be somebody who was so... um, who the client really relied on because I was only there for temporary and she was only there for six weeks. Those are great examples. I feel like I'm already having a calling of what the title of this episode is going to be, right? Like what's so bad about dependency? Because you're not alone in that feeling. A lot of people, therapists are not, social workers are not, um, you know, people moving around in our society think that dependency is a sign of weakness somehow. But in your framework, you're talking about not wanting to be depended on. And I wonder, firstly, if there's a connection, how do you feel depending on other people? Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily like I am very independent. And I think this stems from a lot of what I've experienced as a child. Um, you know, not not even as a child. I would say early adolescence is would be my something that I was thinking about. But yeah, I've just always been very independent. I've never really relied on anybody to do anything. Like it's always just me. But at the same time, I realized that while I'm very independent and I can do things for me, I don't know a lot of the times the choices that I make, if I'm making these choices for me or for other people, because I'm dependent on what other people feel. So it's interesting. I'm not like, does that make sense? What I just said, I'm not, I don't depend on people to make me feel better, but a lot of the choices that I make are depending on how other people are going to react. And that's something that I've discovered now. And that's also like, I don't know, this whole fear of uh, dependency is like, it's very, it feels very contradictory and confusing too. So yeah, that, that, that sounds a little complex. So the piece that you're questioning, if you're clear about is this idea that you don't like to ask for help in the sense of depending on others or needing others for any task completion or just just the idea of reliance, right? Where you might need somebody, period, and maybe even emotionally as well. However, when it comes to making your own decisions, you do it with the sense of how is it going to impact other people? Right. And does that have something to do with wanting to be liked or approved of or made sure that you're not going to disappoint anybody or hurt anyone? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's a little bit of everything, but definitely, you know, disappointing people and not wanting to hurt people. And I think a lot of this goes back to like, I remember vividly, like years ago, 
my so my my dad was sick like all my life and then in 2015 when i was 15 he had passed and then at that point i've had people outside of my family i've had family members friends they were like oh well you have to take care of your mom and your sister and and you um you're the man of the house now even though i had an older brother he was leaving for school and everything so Everybody had these expectations of me. You, you're the man of the house. Take care of your mom. Take care of your sister. Do what they need. And at that point, like at 15, I was like, "Well, yeah, obviously, what else is there to do?" But I realized that I think I was no, I know I was neglecting myself at that point. So you know, what about me at 15? I can't be making these decisions when I can't be making sure that my mom's okay when I'm not even okay, or my sister's okay when I'm not caring for myself. So, but at that point, I realized that I did have. Looking back now at 23, I do realize, you know, I wasn't really looking for my looking after or caring for myself. I was really all my choices and all my decisions up until like recent are based on how my family members will react and and will respond to me. And I think this goes back to the focus of dependency. I've noticed that family members were dependent on me to feel better, to process these feelings of grief. But to my mom, like I can't replace the relationship of, of losing a spouse. And to my sister, I can't be a father figure. So that's something that I struggle with now. And I think that that has a lot to deal. Sometimes this gets a little difficult to talk about, but I think this this goes back to not even grief in general, but when I'm talking with my clients and when they rely on somebody because I know what it's like to feel like to be relied on. And I don't like that feeling because I, I don't have all the answers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what you described is a very shaping experience, right? a very intense emotional experience for any adult, let alone a 15-year-old. So I'm kind of struck when you say that you neglected yourself. My feeling is, no, you didn't. Other people neglected you. And these statements that are made by people are really so misguided. They're, they're, They're meant in a way of support, and people just don't know what to say. And they say things that have significant meaning, that have a significant impact without perhaps intention. Not that that matters, really, that there was an intention to harm, but it's harmful because what 15-year-old has the emotional capacity not only to take care of oneself at that time, the loss of a father, that's that's huge during a pivotal stage of development when you're coming into your own, trying to figure things out, needing a male figure to identify with. There's so much loss there. And so it's hard enough to keep your own sense of self in line and modulate your own feelings. And now you're supposed to take care of mother and a sister? That's that's a totally unfair expectation. Nonetheless, yeah. that was put on you, right? Yeah. And yeah. probably reinforced for the next many years, whether consciously or unconsciously, from your sister and your mother and maybe their support system or the community at, at large, your community at large, but whoa, first of all, very sorry for your loss. Thank you. Um, that's intense. And thank you for sharing that. And it's kind of ironic because I know that I teach you not to be sorry, not to be sympathetic, but to be em- empathic. Mm-hmm. And I'm feeling it right now, but I just wanted to extend that because <laughs> I never knew that about you. Yeah. So I think it makes sense where your fear of dependency comes from, having other people depend on you. And I imagine that while I don't know how many years it went on for that your father was sick, 
do you want to say? Yeah, yeah. It was, I think, the majority of my childhood leading up to my adolescence. He was sick. I think the year that I was born, he had the kidney transplant, but he was like, Throughout, I remember vividly being like seven years old, visiting my dad at Saturdays, Saturday mornings at dialysis centers. So from as early as I can remember, we've, I mean, we've had great memories too, family vacations, but all surrounded by his treatment and everything. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, all throughout my life, he's been, he was sick. And then his death too was also like a little expected, but unexpected at the same time because things were getting actually a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot of loss even before he actually passed in the sense that your mom, I'm sure, was preoccupied as much as she could be there for you. I'm sure she wasn't always there physically and or emotionally. And you were left to kind of fend for yourself with all of these intense emotions. So you didn't even really have the opportunity to depend in the way that maybe a more stable home environment could provide. And I would think that the messaging from something like that is that dependency is dangerous or or just not available. So it makes sense that you would become extremely independent. And I could see how that could be shifted into being uncomfortable, not only you depending on other people, because how do you know that they're going to be reliable or able to be there for you? And I don't think that this is always something that's conscious for us, you know, as we're growing up, but we learn, we learn that through the experiences that we have. And so if you don't see that as a positive experience, how can you possibly provide that for your clients? So the reactions that you had to your clients make a lot of sense mm-hmm. right, intellectually. Right. But I'm wondering if you can, if you feel comfortable talking a little bit more about how it felt emotionally when your client is saying to you, you remind me of my brother, and, and I assume a positive way, this brother of his who passed, yes? Yes. He passed yeah. away. And now, oh, look, I found somebody who reminds me of him and has all these positive qualities. And I don't think, remind me if I'm wrong, that you were thinking about ending with him at that point, you know, that there would be an end to this relationship. And so I don't want to conjure up a dependence, but irrespective of there being an ending in sight, Mm -hmm. just the mere idea of him making that comparison puts some kind of emotional burden on you. Say more. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I remember when he said that like immediately I was like, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not your brother. That's something that I don't want to, I was very quick to react in a, in a way to kind of protect myself. And I didn't want to get him to, to think that I could, it, looking back now, it's a little weird. No, I wouldn't say weird, but it's interesting that obviously he knows that I can't be his brother. Like he, he knows that. And for me, I remember being so um, uncomfortable in that moment when he said that, that I quickly had to struck that down because I didn't want to experience that because right away I started thinking about oh no, you know, he's thinking of his brother. I know he and his brother had a great relationship. And I also know what it's like if you don't have that relationship, those feelings that you get when that relationship is gone, those feelings of resentment and anger. And I think right at that moment, there were so many thoughts that were going on and like feelings that I didn't, I got a little guarded because I didn't want to, I didn't want him to experience those feelings of, okay, he's comparing me to his brother and I didn't want to feel like I had to fill that role. And then for him to to get angry towards me, because at that same time, I'm thinking, I know what it's like to have certain expectations of people, especially people who are helping me. And then 
when those expectations aren't met, how those feelings, how I feel, getting angry and getting frustrated and feeling resentful and resentment towards that person. So it's so many thoughts going on in that moment. And I think a lot of them were more focused on me, but also thinking about the client too. I didn't want him to resent me at that time too. So that's why this um, interaction stuck with me because there were a lot of feelings that are associated with it. Yeah, but that's how we learn by reflecting and sitting with this and the discomfort that comes with it and trying to understand what it what it pushed in you so that you don't necessarily act on that the next time with somebody new. It's so I hope it's a learning moment. It's a learning moment. And the fact that this is still with you, I see it as very positive. I'm sure it's not very comfortable, but it's very positive because it takes time to process this. You're not going to change overnight. These feelings aren't going to go away overnight. But the more that you're aware of them, then the more that you have potential to manage them the next time these feelings are tapped into in you. Right, right. And I remember, you know, thinking at that point, so at that point it was like mid-February. So I knew I had up until uh, mid-April that I was going to be working with him because he was only for um, 12 weeks. So I knew that I still had a couple more weeks to kind of regain. Not that I thought that any trust or anything was was lost, but I to fix or just kind of work through that feeling. And then, you know, the following week, I, I didn't really know what to say, but it came up again. And I was able, I was a little, little more gentle and a little more respectful of, of his feelings. I was able to understand him a little more. But yeah, I, I remember at that time feeling better that I was able to understand him a little more and recognize my own feelings and my own countertransference before I was able to work with him again and kind of work through that. So it was helpful, but to have that, to understand what he meant by that, and even my other client that I was speaking about earlier, to understand where she was coming from, that she is open to extending therapy more than just the six weeks with another clinician. It's not really about me. It's more about how the client feels. So So that's great. You allowed them the ability to process what they were feeling and what was meant by their Mm -hmm. projection onto you. But I think the fact that there is that transference there from them, that, for example, again, that he sees you as his brother or like his brother, speaks to how much you have provided for him. And as a really nice way of him referencing the the warmth that he's felt from you, the kind of sibling bond or whatever it means to him, the sense of meaning that you've provided for him. But I, I understand now about your also your desire to protect him from having the pain of another loss. And one that's empathic because he lost his brother. Now he sees you as his brother and there is an impending loss of you, right? It's the end of the year. You got you to end with him. But then the, the, it's, it's complicated by this other piece of your own personal experience with loss and knowing what that feels like. And so I'm wondering if you recognize that there was part of that in there too, that maybe you were assuming the magnitude of the loss or his, right, seeing you as his brother and what that was going to mean for him based on your own experience with loss. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's something that we know earlier, well, towards the end of April when we were getting ready to terminate and everything, that's something that came up again to me personally because I'm not very good with change and loss. And I think that, when he, we were getting ready to terminate, and he actually just 
decided to stay in the clinic. So he's still receiving services, but with another clinician. But towards the mid-April, when we were getting ready to terminate, I kept asking him, how are you feeling? This is a loss. And I know we've had a really great therapeutic bond so far, but you were going to transfer you to a different clinician and you could still establish that strong relationship. And he said, yeah, like I'm fine. And at that time I was like, well, how are you so okay with this? I reminded you so much of your brother. I didn't ask him this, but these are thoughts that I had. Like I can't imagine, just a sidetrack, like my brother and I have a great relationship. So I know what it's like to have a good relationship with the brother. And if I ever lost my brother, that's tough. So it's like losing your brother again or losing that relationship that we had made. And he was totally fine with it. He was like, yeah, yeah, you know, you really helped me a lot. And, um, you know, you helped me feel prepared to move on for this. He's like, you reminded me that this was only 12 weeks and that I will be seeing somebody else at the end of it. So I was like, oh, okay, this is fine. I guess for me, like I didn't feel much losing a client because I know that he's going to be okay. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, he's, I'm, I'm happy that I was able to get to a point where this loss that he experienced of not seeing me isn't um, going to be so uh, overwhelming for him or to, to, um, I don't know the word that I'm looking for, but traumatic, traumatizing. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. Well, that's so. that's a, another question to raise. One is he uh, in denial? So this is always the matter of when I say, you know, who is this about? Is it about me or is it about the client? Is he resisting, really acknowledging the intensity of the loss of you, and he's got to defend against that, or is this again a? representation of your projecting onto him what he meant by you reminding him of his brother, that you took that really to mean something pretty significant. Whereas in his mind or his construct, maybe it was just that there's some qualities that you remind me of, and I don't literally see you as my brother, and don't worry that there's not this attachment that you fear. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. You th- you think that that's in there a bit. Yes, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah. So uh, how do you feel about your clients relying on you in general? And I mean, I because I think in any therapeutic relationship, there is a reliance. And I think that it's a healthy reliance because a lot of times we need to be able to depend in order to become independent. It's similar to the idea of we need to be able to be soothed before we can figure out and get modeled how to soothe ourselves. So I, if I become dependent on you, I'm learning from your modeling how I can integrate that and then take care of myself. But I know that there's a lot of social workers and clinicians who really don't like the idea of others depending on them, including their clients. Emotionally, that's something that scared me. Like, I didn't want the clients to be emotionally reliant or or relied on me to help them process something bigger, because you know, process their raw emotions, because I just felt like I, not that I didn't feel capable, but... We only they were only coming in six weeks, and there's always that time they can extend their treatment. But it took me months when I first started therapy to open up to my client a lot. So I, you know, to have that expectation. Your therapist? Yes. What what did I say? You say your client. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my my um my therapist. Yes. So it took me months when I first started, and my clients, I didn't want them to feel like they had to rush through their emotions and were dependent on me to help them process their 
feelings when really it takes a long time to do that. And um, so, yeah, I did. I do fear being relied on. And it's something that I think comes with the work and something that I'm getting more comfortable doing. But I also know that if there's any way that I can avoid it, I will. <laughs> and maybe that's my own work that I have to work through. And it probably is. It definitely is. <laughs> I um, think so. Yeah. But I just don't. To, and not that I don't want to, not that I think that my clients are a burden or I just know that it's hard to be the person that helps my client. Well, I want to phrase this appropriately. It's hard to be relied on for my clients to feel better, to make these breakthroughs that at the end of the day, it's on them making these breakthroughs. It's not me. So I've always done that. Like I've always, I remind my clients when they thank me and when they say, you've really helped me, you make me feel so comfortable. I've grown so much. I'm like, well, this is on you. This isn't about me. So yeah, because I don't want them to. But that's not completely true. Well, I, I, Yes, it's not. But I, you know, I like to think it is because I'm fearful that depending on me is like a big, they have to acknowledge themselves and they probably do. And I'm just being in my own head. So, Well, I think that there's a difference between acknowledging their strengths and and that's part of what I think you're doing in that. Like you played a role in this too, to get where you have gotten. But at the same time, you help them there. And so what would it mean to accept their gratitude or even the gratitude, it sounds like, means that they depended on you on some level that's still not very comfortable. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, you know, we're all works in progress, right? So I'm kind of curious about the type of work you envision doing long term. Are you interested in having that role with your clients where it's more short term? Or are you looking to go for the long haul? So I've always been interested in helping my clients connect to resources. So when I'm helping my clients at my current job as a care coordinator, I know that I'm going to be able to help them if they need insurance, I can help with that. If they need to help fill out applications, like I know I can help with that. So in a sense, like I will like to be depended on and relied on. And this is probably going to get interesting too, but I know like if I can help a client and definitely help them and see that through, then yes, I like to do that work. And like next year I'll be placed at a, at a hospital in the fall, I'll be at a hospital placement. So I know I'm going to be doing discharges and helping clients. So yeah, I like to see that through. And if they have the expectation of me to help them, then yes, I want that. I, I want them to know that I can help them reach that point. But emotionally, mentally, and through the therapeutic relationship, I don't think right now, and this might change, and this probably will change as I continue to my education as I continue to work on myself, I think I'll definitely be able to see that. But for right now, I think my my goal is stuff that I know I can help with, whether it's insurance or housing, or I don't know how long that'll last, but I have stuff that are definite. Um, and maybe that's not good because I I don't know, but let's, we can process that. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I don't think, I think that's perfectly fine. We all pick niches of this work that make us feel good or that we feel competent in. And for now, and I'm going to put that caveat on it, but for now, I think there's nothing wrong with linking clients to services and wanting to see the outcomes. When you have these long-term uh, relationships in terms of doing therapy, we have to be able to see those moments of growth 
ourselves because our clients aren't saying necessarily, oh, thank you for that referral or thank you for that service that you connected me to. It's harder to see and we have to sit with their emotions of depression or anxiety and take some some time to work on that. So that makes a lot of sense based on what you're saying. However, I would put my money on, and and I'm happy to be wrong in this, that one day you're going to strive to be involved in the long-term work because I know you've said that you feel that your work in your own therapy has been so significant that I think that it's just a matter of working on some of these fears or anxieties. And I feel like you have the intellectual understanding and the intellectual curiosity and the emotional capacity because you're very compassionate and very empathic and you put those two together and you're in the making but we'll see time will tell but i just wanted to come back to the idea of wanting to your conceptualization of the idea of dependence on what other people think and how that dictates a lot of what you do or the choices that you make And I'm wondering how you think that that might play out also with the clients that you work with. Yeah, so I think my, a lot of the choices that I've made up until like recent were made based on how other people are going to react. And I think that this is something that I've worked on a little bit and it's it's definitely come to play like when I'm doing my work, whether at my internship, when I was there or working, when I'm trying to help them, like, you know, whether it's with anything that they need help with, you know, I I want to, I've learned that I can only do the best that I could do. I can send in their application, but at the same time, it's up to them to follow up and do that. Like, I can't do that. And that's something that maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, like I'd want to send in the application and follow up and know. And and when I have a case sort of like when I have over a hundred clients that I have to meet with in the span of a month, I can't do that. And it's not practical because at the end of the day, I'm not helping anybody if I can't, if I'm constantly all of like running around the place. So I think helping my clients and making decisions that will benefit them to know that they could trust me to help them at at some point and not necessarily like doing the work for them is important. And I think when I go back and I think about the decisions that I've made earlier, like trying to help my sister and my mom, and I can't make them feel better. And I want that they have to do that work, but I can be a little bit of a relief. And if I had known that eight years ago when my dad died, maybe it would be different, but I don't know. Um, and I think it's a lot of it just goes back to understanding that the like the work that I have to do, I have to be able to make sure that I can provide for my clients and do what they need to help them get there. But it's up to them to put in the work. Um, does that answer the question at all? Or did I just totally, you could say no. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you. I... Yeah, I think somewhat. I mean, I think we're talking about or I'm trying to get you to reflect on the people-pleasing aspect of making decisions for other people, as you said. And I would think that in working with clients, there are certain things that we do or say, uh, whether it's tiptoeing around an issue that needs to be addressed because we don't want to upset them or making sure that we extend ourselves beyond which we really should be extending ourselves, like boundaries with trying to go to bat or trying to help because we want to be liked or please them. And so I'm wondering if that resonated for you at all. 
Yeah, so so I think when I had first started this job, I wanted clients to know that they could trust me. So I I do a lot. I had done a lot more, and I think it, it was. Back then, this was before I had completed my undergraduate career and I wasn't in an internship at the time, I wanted the clients and I wanted, I felt like I had to prove myself in a sense that I was able to get to do the work and that I was trusted. And I think that that's like a common experience, but, and I don't think it's ever had much of an impact on my job. I realized shortly after, like, I don't have to, I mean, yes, I should prove myself, but in a way that I'm not, I don't want to say annoying, but too like in the face that I'm going to do what I, I I'm going to do what's expected and I'm going to show that I'm a good worker and that's, that's on me and I'm going to show my clients that I could trust. But at the end of the day, I'm doing it for me and the client. I'm not doing it to prove myself or to meet any expectations. That's something that I realized that I have expectations for myself. And if other people have expectations of me, they could, that's something that we, that we would address. But the people-pleasing aspect, I think I've worked through that a lot. And I don't know, no, I do know. And I think it's been helpful to identify my limits and not going above and beyond too much. I do what I need to do to help my client individually at that time. Like I'm not going to give too much emphasis on certain things because at that, I remember I know what it's like to feel overwhelmed with giving clients too many options. Oh, I could do this for you. I could do that for you. No, I don't need that right now. This is what I need right now. So it's taking the time. And sometimes um, I know like my sessions with clients go a little over and like, you know, I'm just talking with them. And if I could be that person for my client to talk to, that's great. I'm not going to rush them out of my office. But I also realize that, you know, there are strict, I can't keep, I won't continue to do more than what's expected of me in a sense, if it's going to impact my overall work ethic and the work that I do. I wonder if there's uh, these opposite aspects of dependence keep a checks and balances in place. Because on the one hand, as I'm hearing you speak, you go above and beyond that could tilt the scale into somebody depending on you. So even though there's this desire to do things that other people approve of, at the same time, you don't want to do too much for a client because, oops, you know, right? right they can right. they can start to depend on you. So maybe in a way that that's working well for you right now. I'm wondering what you would tell yourself, the person that was working with this client. Well, it sounds like you actually already did. You went back a second time and you help that client process what it meant to rely on you as a brother or see you as a brother. And you've processed it as well. And then you're able to come back and really kind of smooth that out. Do you have any thoughts about moving forward with this challenge for you and how you would approach or you're going to approach clients from here on out? So now that I'm aware of my own feelings, and especially since this stuck with me for so long, I think I've become more um, respectful and more aware of what it means. It's a, So I get in my head a lot, and I think it's the way that I reacted to this client specifically was just in my head. I got defensive based on my experiences on being depended on and my experience of loss and grief. And I think that I'm aware of that now. So when I do have a client, and I would love to eventually work with people who are going through loss, maybe that's contradictory to what I said earlier, but yeah, like in the long term, when I work through myself, I would like to work with people going through loss and grief and everything. But 
so this probably will come up often. And I think that my understanding now has shaped the way that I'm not going to avoid it. Like, I don't want to avoid it. And I, it makes me question, like, all right, what is, what is it about me that reminded you of your brother? And I think that that's something that will benefit me because I'm not afraid to explore that side anymore. Whereas back, you know, back in early February, I was a little hesitant. Like, I didn't want that. But I'm aware of it. I think I, this knowledge will help me not avoid it, which is something that is interesting because it, it will bring, I think it, it can, if I don't explore it and I kind of let that go, then that could be a little off-putting for my client. Like, and, I, and I've experienced that. So yeah, I think it's my knowledge of this now will be, will be helpful. Yeah, I, I, no doubt. I, absolutely. I just kept thinking how insightful this self-reflective process that you've gone through and continue to grow through gives you so much insight about yourself and your work with clients. And I think it's really interesting to potentially want to go into grief counseling, which can be short-term, time-limited, but it sure as hell will kick up a lot of emotions. And I think we tend to be driven towards working with populations with whom we identify. And at the same time, there are those folks who want to stay far away because they don't want to relive it and deal with all of the emotions over and over, day in and day out. And I don't think that there's anything wrong about that. It's about recognizing what you're capable of. And so I think I hear you saying, for now, I don't really want it. I'm working on this and I'm going to pause immersing myself working with that population. But it sounds to me like you really want to, at some point, revisit that challenge because I know that if you do, and no pressure whatsoever, but if you do, you're not only going to be an immense help to those who have are going through the experience, but you're also going to work on yourself personally as you're working on yourself professionally. And that's going to be so, so meaningful for you, but it can be tricky until you have a stronger grasp on it. So all good things in time. And in the meantime, you're going to continue to grow personally and professionally, and you're going to be armed really well for whatever work you're going to be doing, as long as you realize that this is kind of a lifelong journey. And I think you you get that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for this incredible conversation and sharing of yourself in the way that you did. I think, as I always say, it takes a lot of risk and a lot of vulnerability. And I hope that this helped you to continue to grow in some way or another, but I certainly know that those who are listening are are going to grow, whether it is professionally and personally or just personally, right? Having somebody open up their eyes to how we are so impacted by our own lived experiences. And in this case, certainly around uh, grief. So thanks again. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have a question for me, follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Myers Pod. That's D-R-M-E-Y-E-R-S-P-O-D. And send me a DM for a chance to get your question answered on the podcast. I've got some problems, yeah, I've got some questions. I need some help, point me in any direction. Clinical guidance is what I need to help me become who i meant to be. I've been searching for a teacher, another point of view. And I've been asking myself, 
What would Dr. Myers do?